0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unplugged by Good Bets, where we provide the latest tips, strategies, and straightforward advice to underdog entrepreneurs and anyone who wants to leave a legacy by launching and growing a thriving social enterprise. I'm Nicole Jarbo from the Good Bets Group, and I'll be your host as we dive into the world of successful social entrepreneurship. Our episodes will be a hodgepodge. Some days we'll answer your most urgent startup questions, and others we will interview founders you should know but we'll always provide practical and unfiltered advice to help you build a better venture faster. Hey, everyone. I am super excited today to have a friend, a mentor, advisor, just amazing person that I've known for a long time on the podcast today, Brian Bordanic, serial entrepreneur and co-founder at Starface. What's up, Brian? Hey, how's it going, Nicole? It's good. I'm super super pumped that you're here. And um we have so much to talk about. So for the people who don't know who you are, will you just tell them who you are and what you do?
1: Yeah. So uh I I I I'd like the uh, description of a of a serial entrepreneur. I feel like it gives me uh it, it gives me <laughs> uh, like full liberty to to rationalize a, a very all over the place uh historical professional <laughs> career. Um, which is, you know, very much what my life has been like, uh, to date. Uh, but currently I, I run a skincare startup, um, with a really talented, uh, co-founder, which it's a Gen Z focus acne company. And we focus on, uh, you know, asking really stupid questions like, uh, why does acne, why do acne products suck? And why are they so clinical and boring? And like, why isn't there like a streetwear brand in the space?
0: That's great. I didn't know that's how you thought about it. Yeah. Um, cool pimple patches for yeah, everybody yeah. out there. Exactly. <laughs> okay. It's,
1: but more than, but you know, I, I, more than just the patch. I think you know the way that we try to look at the current business, which is whatever it's like way in the weeds, but it, it's really around like behavior, behavior and mindset shifts around you know a new way of thinking about something that hasn't really existed before.
0: Yep, I love it. I think you guys also have. Um, You're also trying to tackle this like negativity and stigma around having pimples, even though like 90% plus of the world gets acne. Yeah. So I think that's a cool spin too. Like, how do you make being normal cool? Uh, So yeah. Um, All right, cool. We're not just going to talk about pimple patches, (laughs) but we could, because I feel like you've learned a lot. I have. But actually, I kind of want to start with like, how did you get here? You're New York based now. You just started and launched uh, Starface, but you've done a bunch of other things along the way. So, sort of take us through that journey, if you will.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, starting like way back when, uh, I was the youngest of three. Uh, you know, the troublemaker of the of the of the lot. Uh, you know, born and raised in New York or outside New York City and then uh, wanted to do something different. I, you know, I feel like that's a sentiment that hasn't gone away, but was certainly something that I felt at like a really young age. I was just like, I want to do something different. Everyone's doing this. I want to like not do that. That's like (laughs) just been a theme. Uh, So I followed that. Uh, I went to school in the South of the University of Georgia, proud Georgia Bulldog. And um, Katrina happened uh, 2005, my sophomore or junior year. And, uh, I was like, friends were going to, you know, Atlanta and, you know, New York and San Francisco. And I was like, uh, I am not going to do that either. Right. So I was like, I want to do something different. Uh, so I went to new Orleans and, you know, uh, now if you tell people that you live in new Orleans, they're like, cool. Uh, back then people did not say cool. Uh, it was like, Whoa, why are you doing that? Uh, wound up a uh, Teach for America teacher uh, teaching in the public school system, uh, you know, for a number of years, uh, started, uh, wound up being thrust into the role of uh, athletic director of the school, which was crazy uh, for a number of reasons, and then wound up uh, embarking on a uh, fundraising journey uh, to help try to raise some money to build a sports stadium on the campus of the high school that I was working at. Uh, which was a really cool experience, and ultimately uh, super complicated for a number of reasons. Uh, ultimately, the project didn't happen, but a lot of the fundraising did, uh, and that's layered in in a lot of uh, complex community dynamics. But really, was you know, my first taste of being an entrepreneur was like running around hustling and trying to raise cash. Um, after that, I like. Worked for the mayor in New Orleans because people said I should work in government politics. Uh, And I was like, oh, cool. I'll just go do that. Um, Wound up then helping other entrepreneurs, you know, in the education space, actually where you and I met, uh, was like, people were like, hey, you've had this like really crazy experience. Uh, Can you help other people who maybe want to do this? And I was like, sure. I don't know what the hell I was doing. And uh, why not? Uh, And I found a real love and and a passion for working with uh people who I felt like were kind of like me in in and I think that's happens a lot like people who felt a little different like they didn't belong kind of anywhere uh in school and whatever uh so I just like loved working with early stage entrepreneurs uh fast forward started <laughs> blew up my life uh started a company called Dinner Lab uh ironically which also didn't work out um but was a really fun amazing business uh really bad margin but a cool concept uh we used to throw pop-up dinner parties all over the united states i uh, would throw like 20 events a week it was madness we would crash u-hauls and it was just an incredible learning experience uh for me in in terms of uh, managing remote teams uh, culture development building a cool concept um and then i like after that ended i pumped the brakes Um, and took a corporate job for a number of years as the head of innovation for one of the largest retailers in the world, which was crazy. Uh, And I did that because people were like, you should take a large corporate job. So I was like, all right, I'll take a large corporate job. Um, And then I did that for a little bit. and I wound up brokering this really large transaction between uh, the company that I worked for and and, and WeWork. And that was cool uh, and and afforded me the opportunity to say, okay, I got to get out of here and uh, get back to my core, uh, which is this like, early stage stuff. And now I do Starface, I have a, you know, sort of a weird manifestation of the uh, of dinner lab, uh, which was the culinary company that I work on. And I, I just like am living in uh, this space that like gives me energy now, which is like this, like nothing to something space. So anyway, most people, when they ask, what do you do? Like a cocktail. I just don't answer and ask what they do, uh, because it takes a long time to explain. Fair. <laughs> so but you asked, so you got it.
0: Yeah, it takes six minutes and forty five seconds to yeah, explain. Yeah, exactly. so but, yeah. <laughs> I appreciated that. Um let me go back just a little bit. So you were in New Orleans, you were a teacher, new to a city, going through a lot of change and transformation, you got thrust into this athletic director role. First of all, like what is that role actually at a high school and what compelled you to actually raise money to build a stadium, which I didn't actually know it didn't happen. So I'd be curious yeah. to hear more about that.
1: Yeah. So, um, uh, what an athletic director at like a functioning high school does is like, you know, organize the schedule, call in buses, like make sure gym time is split equally amongst the teams. Like kids have, their insurance forms and waiver signs it's like a pretty cool gig if you are into sports and things like that uh, i like sports they're fine uh i enjoy them uh, i play baseball football but uh i think that for for me uh when i was asked to be the athletic director i mean the school was operating in um you know more or less FEMA trailers in the parking lot of a uh, private school. So there wasn't a gym, there weren't uniforms There weren't you know, none of the kids had medical clearance to play sports. It was, it was a mess. Uh, so, uh, and we had no money, nor did I personally have money or even understand what access to money even looked like. It was just like a dude with a little bit of a credit limit on a, on his credit card and a couple of people who were like, yeah, I'll coach this, I'll coach that, uh, trying to kind of get things uh, together and up and running. So it was really complicated uh, to, to do that um, and get things up and running, but it was just like, uh, I didn't know any better. I just like did it. <laughs> so it was cool.
0: And then how did, how did the nonprofit start? So like nonprofit, why did you actually feel compelled to raise money? Cause that's a Herculean task.
1: Yeah. Again, like it's sort of like, uh, you know, like a slow build, right? Like uh, someone sent over, you know, I, we had lifted up the, uh, the sports program at the school. Uh, we had gotten it off the ground. We had gotten back into the state agency, you know, participating in actual sports and recruited kids and coaches and uniforms and equipment and whatever. So like, thing was like up and running, but it was like, it was a grind. Uh, it was the, definitely the montage part of the movie. And, uh, it was my life for, you know, two years. So, you know, we were constantly running up against being broke or, you know, having to pay back people. It was just like, it was a mess. Um, So when I heard about an opportunity uh, that was, in essence, a matching grant from an established organization, I thought it was just an opportunity to double up cash, right? So if I could raise 10 grand for something and apply for 10 grand, it seemed like a really clear rallying point um, to do something kind of like interesting or big. And in the worst case, like maybe we wouldn't be living day to day uh, on our credit cards in the same way that we were. So that, that was sort of the idea behind starting to raise money. Um, And then, you know, just started somewhere really, I think like one of the first conversations I had was with like an architect uh, and was like, Oh, what if, you know, what would this look like if it were bigger uh, than just, uh, you know, me raising 10 grand. Uh, And then it just sort of like started to snowball, not in the way that like, you know, this is why you gotta be careful. I'm not a, you know, Hate entrepreneurs most of the time, but it's like it didn't snowball. Like, oh my god, everything went and clicked in the place. And I think that's like a big misconception, and it just like never happens. It was like just kept pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing, and like you pick up one thing, and then you keep pushing and pushing and pushing. You pick up another thing, and then like you know, it started to it started to move in the right door. It started to move in the right direction, but it was a complicated project for for a number of reasons. Uh, a lot of that, uh,
0: yeah, for a number of reasons. Okay. So you raise money. How much money do you end up raising? Uh, Close to a million. Awesome. What was that first sort of big check like? Because I'm pretty sure you didn't just raise a whole bunch of 5k checks. No, we raised a lot
1: of little small ones. Um, But we were, you know, this is like when Twitter was first coming out and we're just using every tool that was available and like, trying you know if it wasn't bolted to the ground we 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 took it uh so we got a phone call from uh like nike that had uh uh seen it on like facebook or you know something like that and um they were like this is cool we want to put in 100 grand and i think that was uh sort of like a no not a critical point not the critical point but certainly one one big momentum swinger for sure
0: Right. I've heard you talk about that before and being like, you guys are shitting me. Yeah. yeah, I totally
1: thought that it was a friend messing with me. So I hung up on them the first time they called. (laughs) Uh, I actually said, you know, go, you know, blank yourself uh, because I was convinced it was a friend and it wasn't. Um, And then you just sort of like, like any entrepreneur, I think when things like that happen, you start to like, you just start to level up. You're like, all right. Right. Now we can go after other companies like this. Like, why not? We got one. You know, you just like keep, you keep pushing. Uh, And then the thing that happens once that's like almost impossible, you're like, oh, that's our reality now. Now we got to do it again. And that's just like how it always is.
0: Right. Okay, cool. So you sort of wet your chops. You've been able to raise money. You head over to the mayor's. Uh, You're at 4.0. And yes, that's where we met. Um, For everyone out there, Brian has been an ever present mentor and advisor in my life. And I met him while I was working on a couple of projects. um, But one of them was was called Teacher Gym, which is now defunct. Um, But I want to talk about that time for just a little bit and get a sense from you, like, what did you learn working with people with lots of really great ideas, but mostly really shitty ideas, including myself for some of them?
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think. I, I take that
0: back. My idea was actually awesome. Yeah, um, so but I mean, it's that. all execution, right? So yeah, yeah go back. What did you yeah. learn?
1: That's that's what I think, right? So I think that a lot of these things, yes, there are great ideas. I happen to think I'm working on one now. Um, but uh, for the most part, there are like a number of really great ideas. Like you could probably rattle off 10. Uh, businesses that don't exist that you think would be cool or services that don't exist that would be cool. And I think that's the easy part. Um, The hard part is then like manifesting that in the world, right? So we had a thesis at the time uh, that I still kind of disagree with, which was that anybody can do this kind of work given the proper conditions. Uh, Anybody can be kind of an, anybody can be an entrepreneur. And what I learned through my time there was that It actually, you know, it's less like the sort of like independently wealthy tech bro kind of, I believe that groups outside of that can do this type of work. I think it really gets down to comfort and ambiguity and and risk threshold. And I think, you know, it's, it's hard. What I learned during that process is you can't really push people there. Uh, I spent a lot of time and I had people there. I was like, no, you could do this, like, screw it, like, go do it, go build it, go make it happen. Um, And I think that, uh, you know, that was a mistake that I made earlier in my career. And now, like, I I try not to spend any time convincing anyone to do anything. uh, Because I think that it's really hard. And it's a grind. And uh, ultimately, if you are not at in a spot where this is like what you ultimately chose to opt into. You're just going to break when it gets really hard and it'll inevitably, it is really hard. So like you can't win or you can't do this job effectively just when it's convenient. Like you got to like put in the reps when you don't feel like doing it. Um, And ultimately like, I think that's what separates like the things that wind up having a chance of being successful versus not. It's less the idea. Uh, It's more just like, the water eroding rock. So that was a big takeaway for me um when I was at 4.0 was was really around like, oh, here are these people who think they have a cool idea because they're close to the problem. And it's like, cool, yeah, you you do have a good idea, but you also really just don't or aren't in a place in your life uh where you're going to be willing to put in the grind and the sacrifice. Like, yes, it's it's in some ways it's easier when someone just quits their job and just does it because there's they jumped off a cliff Uh and I don't build that way. Like I, I build while I'm building other stuff. And if you're going to do that, then you got to be willing to put it in like when it's not convenient. And a lot of people, a vast majority of human beings don't want to do that. Right. They want to like do it on a Saturday in a, with a fresh cup of coffee at a coffee shop for a couple hours and then like go do whatever uh when in reality it's like yeah you just squeeze these things in all the time you take call it just sucks like you gotta be willing to do yeah. the, the shitty work and and most people just straight up are not that there's anything wrong with them they're just like not willing to to do that and that's fine just as and weird.
0: that kind of sounds like a um i'll say it's like a mindset right or just like an approach to any work in general what are some like more technical tactical mistakes that people make who are at idea stage they could a lot of time, yeah, okay, cool, <laughs> like I think on that what that is,
1: uh, on just like shit that doesn't matter i I think like uh, a, a really uh cloudy sense of what's important and what's not uh and and I think uh it's scary starting something anyone who tells you differently is lying, it's really scary uh like it's terrifying at all times. It's really scary. It just sucks. Uh, Like if I could do anything else, I would, (laughs) I'm just, I can't, it sucks. Um, I'm a terrible employee. Like I just like, I'm forced into this life. Um, But I think a lot of times we uh, as human beings, we want to, we're taking a risky endeavor and then we want to feel good about that endeavor and we're pack animals and we want to tell people and convince people that's a good idea. Like none of that stuff matters. Um, at all. And a lot of times it's people spend time trying to convince people that it's a good idea and building coalitions. And, and like, yeah, I think those things are important to do. But I think if you're trying to get something out in the world and, and you believe in it, you got to just like, you, you got to just like, everything should be tactical about getting this thing out in the world. Uh, period, yeah. And no and so, waste of time.
0: Well, what are the things that folks should focus on? And I have like a whole like note page of Brianisms throughout <laughs> I could throw out here from like the decade of knowing you. But um, I'm curious, like how should people spend their time really early on? Um, well, I think- More specifically, because you, you did say things like getting it out there, but what do you feel like is the first thing folks should really jump into if they're serious about making their idea real?
1: So I, I think, like you know, look, there's all these like design books that are out there about prototyping, rapid prototyping, and iteration. And it really, like, yes, sometimes that's true, and sometimes that's not, right? Like, if you're a medical device company, like you're gonna have to take a really big swing, and you're gonna have to have really deep domain expertise, and like to do that, or you're gonna have to hire someone with deep domain expertise to do that, right? If you're, uh, like, when when we were starting Dinner Lab, or even when we were starting Story Course, then it's like you don't need that much. You need a chef You need a room. You need some people to like cook a meal for folks. Right. So you, you can quickly test those prototypes and assumptions really, really fast. And I think always one should be thinking about like, how do we quickly experiment with this? You know, how do we, how do we do it for cheap? You know, it doesn't always have to be like, Hey, do it for 20 bucks and, and do it in these like, know controlled environments or do it with no money and i think depending on where you are at the very beginning it's like yeah try to do it with something that like you can finance yourself and that means something different to different people but i think like being able to speak with a level of fidelity that like you've tried it you've experimented with it you've prototyped it uh, to the best of your ability uh is super super important And, and unfortunately in some areas uh because this work is really awkward, what a lot of people tend to do is like they want to build an isolation in a room. They want to write a manifesto. They want to uh, hire tech developers and, and go away for six months. And I think you've got to really fight that urge and, and lean into like how awkward this can be. <laughs> <laughs> like and, and
0: it.
1: <laughs> try your best to get it out there.
0: Okay. So this is one of my favorite Brian entrepreneur stories uh, on the same topic. Tell us about the start of Dinner Lab.
1: Yeah, so really good. I mean, this is like a really good and bad example. Uh, but I, I really wanted to. I wanted to test a couple of things that I thought were like fundamental pillars of the business at the time. Some of which we pivoted away from as a result of that night. But we, uh, I wanted to see like a. You know, we were testing in a city like New Orleans at the time. There weren't really any good late night options for food. There were amazing bars and things like that. So I was sort of testing or I wanted to know, like, would people show up to a dinner at midnight? Which is like a, you know, interesting thing to be like, okay, it seems to make sense. My gut felt pretty good about it, but like I don't know, i had never hosted a party or, you know, got gathered people or hadn't paid money to do it. So That was one thing that we were testing. Um, So we found a building that was like dilapidated and guy owned it and was like redoing it and the like stove kind of worked and the bathroom didn't. Uh, And he was like, yeah, you could use it for the night. So we like swept up the floor. Uh, I have a friend who eventually became the CTO of the company uh, named Ravi Prakash and he's, uh, you know, born in India, went to college in India. And I had eaten at his house a number of times and I was like, man, this food is delicious and better Indian food than anywhere that I'd eaten in the city. Uh, and he's like, not a chef. And I was like, Hey, how many people can you cook for? And he was like 40 or 30. And we're like, cool. We invited 75 people. So, uh, you know, I wanted to see if people, uh, had the same assumption that I did, which was like, something that wasn't available in the city wasn't from an experienced master chef with a big name like that people would find it interesting and compelling and at least willing to fork over some amount of money for so that's another thing that we were testing um and then lastly i wanted to test out like the viral nature of the product so we sent out this email that was like probably the best subject line i've ever used which was like what are you doing tonight or what are you doing tomorrow night question mark um and then it was like I bet you didn't say like having dinner, like in an abandoned whorehouse, which is what the, 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 the <laughs> uh, and I was like, whatever you do, don't forward this email, uh, your, you know, whatever. And everyone forwarded it everywhere. And we packed, uh, we packed, like a, it was a really cool party. It was a madness, uh, people peeing in the streets and like, <laughs> like it was very illegal and all all the things. Um, but it was also, you know, again, what was really interesting about that night, uh, A, you know, it was a mess and it was great and fun, a really fun party. Uh, and we, we proved a lot of the thesis of, of at least the fundamental part of the business. But I also learned that night that like, even if it was a good business, we weren't throwing midnight dinner parties. People showed up so drunk. Right. Um, I was like, I don't want to have a business doing this. <laughs> like, like, right. It was a terrible idea. You're like, oh my God. Oh my God. Um, like I don't want to be serving dinner at midnight in New Orleans. like what a terrible idea,
0: right. So it sounds like the tactical advice is like line up your assumptions and just start testing them. like get yeah, out there best, and actually do that
1: as best you as best you can. That was like a very tactical story and and it was fortunate that like we forced people to pay um and you know, the the night I maybe lost a couple hundred bucks or, you know, whatever it was. But like, yeah. And and obviously you start taking bigger bets as the business gets bigger. But like, you should sort of always be rooted in that. Like, how can I do this for less than what everyone else is telling me? How can I learn uh, what I want to learn uh, without having to build the whole, the whole thing? And I think uh, there's just a big difference, uh, even at big companies that have a a spirit and a culture and a value set around being scrappy, uh, and quickly testing things than ones that don't. Um, and, and I think it's clear, uh, you'll know it when you're working for one and you'll know it when you create one.
0: Yeah. So, all right, let's fast forward. You, you throw the brothel party you get some enthusiasm and momentum around this. You're still working at your current job. You make the transition to work on Dinner Lab full-time. Um, what did you learn from running your first big company like that? And how big did it actually get?
1: Uh, pretty big. Uh, <laughs> we had, uh, at <laughs> our peak, uh, we, had, uh, we had over 100 employees, uh, over 1,000 contractors, uh and, and we're doing north of you know uh ten million run rate and revenue. Uh so pretty big business. Um I mean you know we weren't Apple but it, it was uh right from humble roots uh it was it was pretty damn big uh and operating in like 30 cities. So pretty crazy. Um I mean I learned a ton. My goodness uh it was also it was also an exercise in trying to you know bottle chaos so the business was just inherently we had a great team really smart people it was just it was just a really challenging business like the x's and o's fundamentals of the business were bad um and concept and people were attracted to our team and the culture that we built and and the stories that we told and and the experience that we were providing it was just a bad uh like fundamental it was a bad business um so it was really challenging because we were great storytellers. Uh, you know, it was just like, it was cool. It was like, it was just cool to be at the event. Like people liked it. People met their boyfriends and girlfriends and friends. And like, it's, I still meet people today. They're like my best friend. i met. you know, it's like, it's crazy. Um, right. And it was really cool. But like, we basically took a crappy business, which was the restaurant business to begin with. And we were like, how do we make it more challenging and even crappier for marketing? <laughs> And that's what we did. Um, so I think it was, uh, it was really hard to, uh, to turn a profit. So like there was nothing, we couldn't scale our way out of it. Um, you know, and as much as people wanted to look at us like a startup and a tech company, it wasn't, it was a lifestyle business that we tried to scale like a startup and, and it didn't right. work. Uh, but, uh, the lessons I learned from that were, were that, right. Uh, <laughs> like try to get into a better fundamental business, but, I'm still really proud of the culture that we built, uh, the team that we built, uh, you know, the, the, the lives that we were able to touch and, and impact. And, um, I'm saying this more from an employee or perspective of the employees that we had, like, it was just a great group of people working really hard, uh, towards something and, and, and being able to instill sort of that organizational leadership, uh, was really cool uh because we we kind of built an organization that works in a way that like I like to pride myself on working which is like really didn't want to that's a cool part about building a business right you're like I'm don't want to micromanage people I want to set like a organizational culture expectation that like you work really hard you get your stuff done you don't take yourself that seriously and you sort of put out that vibe and that energy in the world and you instill it in documents and things like that training And you start to attract people who just look at the world that way, too. So all of a sudden, we had this like army of like hardworking people who still like to get a drink at the end of work. And we're like entering emails late at night, but like we're like, you know, not above a a funny knock, knock joke. Right. And that was like so cool and impactful. Uh, And I knew that uh, I wanted to do more of that kind of work in my life. Uh, but I also knew I needed to be in a better margin business. I knew I needed to be in something that scaled, uh, you know, like just like started to put the pieces together. And I knew I couldn't start another business with like three other people, which is what Dinner Lab was. It was like four co-founders, five co-founders. It was like madness. There was like an army of us.
0: Right. Uh, I want to come back to Culture Dinner Lab and, and talk about Starface, but I want to ask a, another question first. want to go in chronological order. So you end up at Hudson's Bay. hmm the um the opposite of that. So can you just tell people what exactly the bay is? Because I think a lot of folks aren't familiar with this company, even though they should be, and they're probably familiar with with a lot of their holdings.
1: Yeah. So Hudson's Bay Company is like the oldest running company in like North America. Uh it's been around since like the sixteen hundreds. But it was one of uh it's one of the largest retailers in the world. So Hudson's Bay Company is the largest retailer, clothing apparel retailer in Canada. Um, and that company um, is listed on the, you know, uh, Canadian Stock Exchange, but also uh, owns Saks Fifth Avenue and used to own uh, Lord & Taylor, used to own Guild Group and a couple of large European retailers. So it's a very large uh, retailer, you know, 1, 1,200 employee business, you know, bureaucracy, kind of felt like the office, fluorescent lighty kind of vibes.
0: <laughs> and what were you doing there?
1: Uh, so I had developed a, a friendship with the owner of the business uh, and after Dinner Lab uh, was done, uh, he was like, come work here. And I was like, I literally have never worked at a big company. I know nothing uh, about retail. And he was like, me neither, let's figure it out together. And that's what we did. So he gave me a job title was uh, head of innovation. and we just started to work together and figure it out <laughs> like that was, that was the <laughs> like do cool stuff. Like literally I, I literally was like do cool stuff.
0: All right. Well let's save that for another conversation. But yeah. uh, I think, I don't know, we might've connected. I don't even know uh, a year ago. We, I think we like lost more regular touch and then I popped up back in your life and you had left you were doing some other things, story, uh, story course included. Mm-hmm. And I asked you about like why you decided to leave. And you said something that I cannot remember verbatim, but you gave me three reasons all around self-awareness. You basically figured out that like corporate settings were not for you. I think the first thing you said was, you want to be able to move fast. You want to be able to wear whatever you want. And I can't remember the last thing. I don't know if those are still guiding principles of your decisions, but if you remember the last thing, I definitely want to hear it.
1: Uh, it was probably being able to make my own schedule. I imagine that's a uh, fundamental importance. Uh, structure my day the way I want to.
0: Yeah, that that sounds like way less interesting than the other two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, like, how did you come up with that? Like, Was there a, a breaking point for you? You don't have to get specific, but... Ooh. was there was there a light bulb that was just like hey this is not going to work for me
1: so i think that there are uh there are people who are uh smarter than me and sort of like can truncate the learning experience that i've had over a decade into like a classroom experience or reading about other entrepreneurs like when they start really killer businesses and they get it right the first time or second time or <laughs> whatever it is right uh for me i i have always operated off like that seems interesting and i go with it um and it's taken a really long time to like inform my gut about what feels right and then i tried my best to listen to that and once i'm at a spot where i can actually articulate uh okay so like the first phase is like something feels off or not quite right the second phase then is like what why, why doesn't this feel right? And then third phase, which sometimes takes a really long time is speak it, right? Like put a finger on it. And I did that, uh, you know, it took me almost a year to do it post dinner lab of like, what, what was right about this? What was wrong about it? What do I want to change it again for the next time? Um, you know, when you're in an environment like a large corporate environment, you're not like forced to leave, uh, but you're, you're like, okay, what's right about this? What's wrong about this? Um, what do I want to do again? What do I not want to do again? You know, nothing's entirely right, nothing's entirely wrong. So for me, it's about like collecting valuable pieces of information and then making my next decision be better informed based off of all the experience that that I've had and and some, you know, and trying to be as self-aware as as humanly possible. So, you know, leaving Hudson Bay Company, I was like, whoa, you know, being when someone says be here at this time. You know, it was what drove me crazy about being a school educator. Uh, and it's also something that, like, I don't enjoy about working at a large company where you have a boss and the boss is like, can you be in this meeting? And I'm like, I'm used to being like, or I really value being like, no, <laughs> <laughs> like, like no, I can't. Um, and that's really important to me. Uh, that's really, really like, that is really important to me. Uh, so, yeah, there's like little things that I learned early in my career. I like being able to move fast, I like being like having autonomy, like all those things. And then you get more complex and nuanced as you figure out those big buckets. Right. Uh, and, and you know, one of the things that was really nice about a large corporate environment was the security that it provided. Um, you know, I never made that much money. So I was like, oh, or had access to an expense account like that. So I was like, this is nuts. Um, you know, and and also was something I enjoyed. Um and, you know, trying to figure out ways to like take pieces of that and build in, you know, things that are, you know, smart to do at a startup. And and all like, you know, it's just like really interesting ways to look at the world and, and piece together the things that you really value. But I think as a human being, like, at least for me, I'll speak for my own experience on this, like, um, we... Like we learn constantly and and our needs change and and our desires change and uh, i i I just think it's about being really honest and true to that uh as best as you can if your life circumstance affords you to do it but I just like it's getting back to the original sort of like core that we've been talking about is like I just don't have a ton of sympathy uh for people that are like in situations that they're completely miserable with uh, and are not actively doing something to change it. Uh, and I understand that people come from all, people come from all different types of life circumstances, but it's like, if you're willing to put, and this gets back to that level of grit, like if you're willing to put in that extra work, like you can, everyone can do it. Uh, and I really do believe that. Um, so anyway, that's, that's my, that was a ramble. No,
0: I mean, that, no, I love it. Uh, there are two things that I'm thinking about after that. Just like this idea of trusting your intuition and just how important that is. And then sort of just pursuing happiness, period. Um, so tell me then about sort of the first, second, I don't know, third month, you're you're gone. You leave the big corporate behemoth. Like, how are you feeling about that decision?
1: Well, terrified because I'm like, you know, ex- thousand dollars short right so (laughs) uh, you know i had a little bit of a windfall and and, and was in a fortunate position to to springboard out of there uh but i didn't have a lot of time to kind of figure figure it out so i had to start to uh piece it together but it felt great to be in the headspace at least at least for me um if something is like negative uh like negatively impacting me from an emotional standpoint it's going to eat me alive uh, and that can be like a slow burn or that could be uh, intense, but it's like, it, it will just impact me so much. So being free of that, uh, really afforded me a lot of opportunity, but I was putting feelers out and working on shit even when I was there. So it was just like an ability to really start to push into those things in a little bit more earnest of a way. But I wasn't like, I'm free. I'm going to go read for a month. Like I was like, Oh, I had this other thing going. I had thoughts about what some of these other things were going to be. Um, And yeah, I I was feeling much better about pursuing those things uh, because they were just in a better spot.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, super important. Um, Let me circle back to the question I wanted to ask, and then unfortunately we're going to wrap really soon. But uh, you mentioned Dinner Lab and the culture. So as you're building Starface, how do you think about supporting – you know, whatever the Starface culture is and creating that with your co-founder? What lessons are you taking from Dinner Lab and and Hudson's Bay? And like what are you bringing to this new experience?
1: Yeah, great question. Um, Being really... uh, So everything is part of your culture when you're building an organization. The things that you talk about and are overt about and the things that you ignore, all of it becomes... Like, it just becomes... uh, And I learned that at Dinner Lab. So the things that we valued were like super apparent. Things that we codified, the shit that we codified, but didn't really enforce or talk about. Like all those things, people, humans are perceptive, um, and they pick up on that stuff really quick. So I think being a little bit more intentional uh, about uh, about how to sort of like express that and and what we wanted to do. So like we wanted to be uh, both Julie and, and myself wanted to, uh, do a few things and you don't get to do all of them as a startup. Uh, so we were like, we want to, uh, be building an organizational culture that works the way that we work, which is, uh, doesn't really care where you are, uh, but expects you to be working. So like <laughs> very millennial of us. So like, you know, I don't care, Like most of our employees are leaving, you know, uh, the, the week before Thanksgiving to go home to their family, but like I don't, I could care less. Right. (laughs) Like go work from Tuscany. It doesn't matter. So like we're, that is like a very much a part of our culture, but also, you know, if I shoot a text or an email at eight o'clock at night, picking that up is also part of our culture. So trade-offs. The second thing that we wanted to do, uh, was have, uh, like a really best in class insurance policy, which sounds small, but it was like really important to both of us, uh, so we rolled out like we have better health insurance than i've ever had in my life uh and it's 100 percent paid for by the company uh and that was something really important super aggressive uh paternity maternity plans uh which is like crazy because you're like a four-person company but it's like paying attention to those things and and being really specific about them um you know i think are things that we've done really intentionally and really well uh and and also will like are just part of i think getting older but also part of uh what we wanted to build and um, in, in trying to be, and I think this is still a work in progress for me, like really direct with uh, uncomfortable conversations and, and being willing to have the meta alarmingly fast and surprising high volume rate uh, often. Um, <laughs> not where we want to be, but we're, we're getting there.
0: <laughs> we're getting oh, there. I mean, that's awesome. I'm super pumped for all the work with Starface just because your approach with Julie is just so different. And I think so needed, but that's probably for another day. So lastly, I want to ask you, or this is a penultimate question, but I do want to know what is your advice for folks? And we've touched on this. So if you can just give us like the punchy version, what's your advice for folks who are trying to make a decision about maybe going full into an idea or not, or pursuing something they really care about, or getting away from a job that they maybe hate? Like, how would you encourage them to think about that decision?
1: Yeah, I I think put a toe in the water, um, and and be really critical of your time. That's that's like the the shortest, punchiest way that that I think you could do anything. You don't have to. The, in my opinion, the, the days of the like cannonball, jump off a cliff, entrepreneur are sort of behind us. Especially as you get older, it becomes less prop, uh, like less likely that you're going to do that. But everyone's got a few hours to, to to hustle on the weekend or in the morning or just like, you know, when you're not supposed to be doing it at work or whatever to <laughs> and like to try it out because, you know, a seed grows into a sapling, sapling grows into a whatever, bushel, bushel grows into a tree. And, and I think you just want to like, you got to start uh, and be willing to do the ridiculous work when it's ridiculous to do it.
0: Awesome. Thank you. You hear that? Everyone, toe in the water, work while you're at work. Unless <laughs> if you work at Starface, then don't do that. Then don't do that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, All right. Yeah. Last question. Um, where can folks find out more about you, find out more about Starface? Um, I know you have a pretty inconsistent social media presence, but <laughs> Starface does not. So how do we learn more about what you all are up to?
1: Yeah. And story uh, course. Yeah. So definitely, definitely follow the... Uh, Starface uh, Instagram just at Starface uh, check out the website uh, starface.world um, and yeah I mean me I'm pretty responsive over email and LinkedIn and things like that and, and usually pretty decent place to keep up uh, with me more so than uh, Instagram I actually also follow my fiance's Instagram she's way more active than I am <laughs> so which is actually, your
0: fiance yes
1: yeah, yeah, very exciting times amazing yeah
0: All right, we'll drop all those things in the show notes for folks. Brian, you are amazing. Um, I will be talking to you later this week. So I'm going to just say bye here. Thank you so much for being on the show. I think folks are going to be really pumped about this.
1: Awesome. Thanks, Nicole.
0: Thanks for listening. To hear more episodes, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Do you have a question you'd like us to answer or an idea for a show? Email us at hello at goodbets.co with unplugged in the subject line. If you want to learn more about GoodBets Group and our work, then visit us at goodbets.co. That's G-O-O-D-B-E-T-S dot C-O. Till next time.